of every spirituality, every, to somehow encounter or to know the divine or who God is. This verse, when you're reading across the Beatitudes, is meant to be like an NFL lineman taking a cannonball right in the middle of your swimming pool. Like it's meant to upset and go, whoa, are you kidding me? Because to see God, that is the final aspiration. That is the, the, the highest goal of any religion. You know, the, the, the vast, ornate, detailed beauty of the cathedrals is an attempt to try to demonstrate what it might be like to see the holiness and majesty of God. Or go to some other religion. You, know, you look at the Aztecs. They built these massive step-light ziggurat structures. Why? Because they were hoping to reach their way up to heaven to see God. Or others might see God differently. See, God is actually something, something that's inside of you. as a lot of Eastern religions. And so they turn to meditation and other practices in an attempt to try to find and locate the God within. I could keep on going and giving different examples, but the point is, humanity, we have this desire to see God. To locate Him, to figure out who is He? How do we know who He is? And some of us, we might look at our uh, Western uh, New England society and say, well, if I look around me, you know, it doesn't really seem like very many people care to see God at all. I'm not picking up on that. But I would say, I don't think the apathy toward God or faith is due to a lack of desire as much as cynicism and skepticism have just lost our, the, our ability to believe that it can actually happen. There's a, a French philosopher named Jean-Paul Sartre who wrote this play, uh, The Devil and the Good Lord. And, and there's a character in his play who makes a statement that illustrates so well this attitude of wanting to see God, but we've just lost the ability to believe. And I, let me read it to you. And you can read it. It's actually on the screen. I prayed. I demanded a sign. I sent messages to heaven. No reply. Heaven ignored my very name. Each minute I wonder what I could be in the eyes of God. Now I know the answer. Nothing. God does not see me. God does not hear me. God does not know me. You see this emptiness over our heads? That is God. You see this gap in the door? It is God. You see that hole in the ground? That is God again. Silence is God. Absence is God. In other words, I wanted to see God. I demanded that He show Himself to me. But he didn't pick up the phone. So now I'm not really sure he's even there at all. I think he's just completely nothing. Have you known people who felt like this before? Have you felt like this before? Have you ever felt like you prayed and you were just praying into emptiness? I know I have. And we don't have time to go into all the reasons why God sometimes feels silent. But we can dive in to try to make sense of what Jesus is saying here when he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What is that seeing God thing all about? And more importantly, when he says this phrase, we realize that the gate toward seeing God that we must walk through first is a pure heart. So what is a pure heart? What does he mean by that? What is Jesus trying to say? And so if we dive into this, we break it down. First, Jesus is saying finding God begins at the heart level. 
Finding God begins at the heart level. Now, before we jump in and start talking about this, what, is, what do we mean by heart or heart, as some people around here like to say? What do we mean by that? Because when we think of heart or hot, we think of the physical organ in our bodies or some sort of like chick flick, Valentine's Day, sappy love, right? But when the Old Testament uses this word lavav, or the New Testament uses the word cardia, both of which we translate into English as heart, the meanings of these words are something far more significant than sappy love. If we could try to boil this concept down, the heart in the Old and New Testament is the seat of all our personality. It's the unique animating core of who we are. In other words, the heart is the real, inescapable you. You know, we like to imagine, too, that, that uh, we, we think with our brains and we feel with our hearts. But the heart, and biblically speaking, is the sum of our emotions, our mind, and our will, all in one, together. It's not just separated or compartmentalized out, but they are an interconnected whole. To try to make it clear, you ever heard the advice, you know, thanks to Disney and others, follow your heart? Well, they're not saying just follow your emotions, and they're not saying just follow your mind, but they're saying follow that intuitive core of who you are. Listen to that. I'll talk about in a minute why that might not be the best advice. However, that's, it get, helps us understand a bit more of what Jesus is saying when he talks about this heart. And, and, the, and the reason why it's so important is because this is where God starts. You know, we've met a lot of faiths, religions, even Christians who say, uh, no, if you want to grow closer to God, then you need to read a ton of theology books. Basically, focus on what you know. If you know a lot more things, that'll allow you to go to the next level in faith. Or some people say, no, no, you need to go seek, go to this conference, go to that conference, go seek after these spiritual experiences and these feelings. That will get you to God. And then people say, no, 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 you need to focus on what you do, your actions, be the hands and feet of Jesus, go and do and serve people. That will get you closer to God. And Jesus says, these things aren't bad. However, if you want to find God, start with the heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus says, these people listening to me, they give me lip service. But their hearts are far from me. Just to give us, try to illustrate this a little bit more. Um, there was a group of religious uh, bigwigs named the Pharisees. They were a Jewish sect that believed um, if we follow all the laws of the Torah, if we uh, do all the old traditions, if we maintain a pure environment around us, making sure that we are not defiled in any way, then we're doing the godly thing. Then we're actually pleasing God. In other words, for, the, for this group of people that Jesus encounters, he sees a group of guys who, who want to make sure the external side of them is completely in order, in line, but Jesus says this to him. He says, you guys, you clean the outside of the cup and dish. But inside, you're still full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, a.k.a. the heart. And then the outside also will be clean. Jesus says, you guys are focusing on all this stuff out here. He says, take the inward journey. 
But you, but honestly, I get it. I get what the Pharisees are doing here because, frankly, it's far easier for me to focus on the external stuff than the internal stuff. Is it not? It's far easier for me to, to, to focus on what I know. Um, I'm seeking after these emotional experiences or what I do than it is turning to this nebulous thing called the heart. It's far easier. See, see, see if you guys relate with this at all. Um, when I was in high school, I came to know Jesus. And my, and my initial thought was, okay, I want to grow in my faith. So what did I do? I decided I was going to go to this conference and that conference, this Christian concert here, this relevant teaching. And I started chasing experience after experience after experience, going after high after high after high, emotionally speaking. And then what happens after the high? You come down. Ah, oh, I need to go after the next one. I need to go after the next one. Until eventually I was left thinking, this is shallow stuff. There's got to be more to it than this emotional roller coaster when it comes to knowing God. So I said, I know those emotional people, they don't get it. I need to go deeper. I need to focus on studying theology and reading as much of the Bible as I possibly can. I need to focus on what I know about God, not just about what I feel, right? So now I'm going to read all these books and, and I'm going to do all these things. And hey, if I really am serious, I'm going to go to seminary. That's going to take me to the next level of my faith. And then I met this biblical scholar, one of the smartest men I ever knew, who was an arrogant jerk. So it's possible to know a lot about God, but still be a jerk. Okay. I know. Those mental people, clearly, you know, rock hard hearts. The feeling people, shallow. They're going to be blown over by the next thing. I need to focus on what I do. I need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I need to help a lot of people. I need to do a lot of these spiritual disciplines. And so now I got busy. Boom, 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 boom. Started doing all of these things. And then before you know it, I am sucking wind. I'm worn out. I'm burnt out. And I still am struggling with the very same things that I did at the very beginning of the whole journey towards Jesus. Can anybody relate with this? Or at least parts of it. And it's in the midst of all that. That Jesus comes and he says, I need you to take the inward journey. All these other things, what we know, what we feel, the experiences, what we do, these are not bad things. With the right motivations, with the right heart posture, these things can actually be used to change who we are. But that's just the thing. It's possible to focus on what we know, what we do, or how we feel, but never change who we are in our core. To do all of these things, but our hearts remain unchanged. But if we want to see God, Jesus says you got to go inward. Take the journey inward. Who are you? And if we're honest again, that's kind of a scary place to go. It's way easier for me. But to actually pause. Why do we so often neglect our hearts? Why is it that who we are is often neglected, but all these other things we give so much energy and attention to? 
And I believe it's because if we truly focus on our hearts, if we expose our hearts, it can be downright painful. It can be downright painful. You know, Jesus says, if you want to see God, you got to begin with the heart. But he also lays out, he says, but the heart's also the problem. He says, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. He says, these are what defile a person. He says, the heart may be where you start, but you also need to recognize the heart is broken. And he's not saying that human beings are incapable of ever doing anything good and we're just monsters. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying that the problem is that our hearts as human beings are divided. So what is a pure heart? Let's, let's get to that and then we can, uh, hopefully we can clarify some of this. So when he's talking about a heart that is pure, he's talking about a heart that is singular in its love. It is, it is sincere. It is sold out. As one uh, author put it, it is free from the tyranny of the divided self. A pure heart doesn't fake it. It's authentic. Authentically devoted to who God is. It's not mixed in its motivation, but it's clear-eyed, focused on the goodness and the joy in the presence of God. That's where a pure heart finds its joy. But an impure heart, naturally then, would be a divided one. An impure heart would be one that is adulterous. And that, yeah, 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 I love God, I love God, but I'm also keeping my eye on money and pleasure and success and all of these 